What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 15 of the Paul Heyman's Smackdown podcast over here on the Smartout Moment channel, where we go back in time to the year 2002 and check out every single episode of Smackdown that Paul Heyman was the head writer for. And joining me, Callum Wiggins, on this journey back in time, as per usual, is Robert DeFelis. Callum, we have formed a nice tag team here on this podcast, and we're going to be talking a lot about tag teams today. Yes, this is the a big episode in our journey, as it is the inauguration of the tournament to crown the first ever WWE Tag Team Champions, which essentially is still a title that is in relative existence today as the quote-unquote Raw Tag Team Championships. Their lineage stretches all the way back to these belts. So, so yeah, this is a history-making moment for WWE to head through this tournament, and we're going to see the the... I guess the burgeoning embers of this tournament uh, play out on this episode here. So I want to remind everyone that uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, then do leave a like and a comment below. Just let us know how you're enjoying the series, how you're enjoying this episode in particular. If you have any thoughts and feelings about this one, then feel free to leave those. If you're listening through any of the other podcast feeds, then drop a rating or a review. They'll all go, all go to help us all out, get us seen by some more people. If you're watching us from episode 15 and this is where you've decided to start your journey on this podcast and nice to see you here, but if you really want to get the full experience of the journey, then check out the playlist on the Smart Cut Moment channel and you can go all the way back to episode one and join us back here in the next, I guess, about 14, 15 hours from now. And then there is a link in the description to this episode of Smackdown if you haven't been able to watch it before listening to this program. If you want to like just pause this, watch the episode of Smackdown, come back to it. Again, we'll see you in like two hours or whatever, but I think that's it for the just opening plugs and opening exchanges. Let's talk about some news. So start with some of the news, which is a WWE shareholders meeting or stockholders meeting, however you want to refer to it, where Vince McMahon talked about the potential of reviving ECW as a late night entity. Wow, what, what was their fascination there? I guess, hey, well, Heyman's in the company. And I guess Heyman is constantly being in people's ear about, you know, we should do something about ECW. Like, we've got ECW, the brand, we've got all that's involved. So why don't we do something with it? So I think this is very much a Heyman-led idea that Vince is getting on board with. I guess it probably could have standed a chance in 2002 as opposed to when it finally comes around as a kind of a primetime show in 2006. Yeah, but at this point in time, Vince doesn't even have the... He hasn't purchased the rights yet to ECW's archive footage. They're still up in the air at this point in time. That's Vince WWE obviously would eventually purchase that and use that in a lot of their upcoming things, especially in the build-up towards ECW One Night Stand, and then eventually would fill the archives of the WWE Network with ECW TV and ECW pay-per-views. But still right now, building to this day, I think. Yeah, absolutely, but... Right at this point, they still he still he says that this is like a far off pipe dream. Like this is still like years in the future. This could potentially happen because he says it's not particularly viable in their current financial and television status. Like their current state at the moment, it's not viable to have ECW as a third brand, especially a third touring brand, which where they're already not so much struggling, but they're definitely their attendances are going down and all that other stuff. So it wasn't the right time to have ECW. And frankly, as it proved, it was never the right time to have ECW back. I think 
as as we've seen over the years, even if you look at primetime ECW, it, ECW works best as a clip show. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So also in that meeting, Vince Man admitted that the innovation of SmackDown Records was a big financial mistake. Uh, he talked. He talked about the idea of using his new movie production company, WWE Films, to make low-budget, straight-to-video movies involving WWE wrestlers, which is what they did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Vince also said that the world was had been horribly mismanaged and was lacking in direction. So he's been quite honest in these uh, in these stock economies, but probably more honest than he is nowadays. I think he was living in a world where he could afford to be honest. You know, I think. At that time, honesty was probably seen as a good thing as opposed to, you know, we got to appease the shareholders and just give them what they want to hear. But I need you to go back a little bit. What What's SmackDown Records? SmackDown Records was essentially, I, I, I can't really remember it exactly, but I know it was the sort of uh, a, essentially a music production company, which made the sort of things like forcible went I don't know if it was forcible entry but it was definitely things like I remember there was a WWE released album where you had people like was it originals yeah, yeah originals. WWE originals probably yeah uh, Smackdown Records did have a a actual band signed to it but I think that they left and pursued another contract straight afterwards so basically by this point so I Smackdown Records the only people there are servicing are WWE superstars and if they want to do that sort of thing the actual legitimate bands aren't signed to that record anymore so there was one band signed i'm looking at it now and they were neurotica and they did right of your life which was the 2002 king of the ring theme song but i don't even think they would do any other wwf or wwe theme songs no yeah it was a very again like he says a very unsuccessful venture and vince kind of basically said that any of these ventures only really work when wrestling is quote hot as hell so it's very honest. I like honest. <laughs> yeah, he was he was honest with the shareholders here. Um, also, he mentioned the idea, just a rudimentary idea, about creating some sort of service for people to pay to view old WWE tapes. Okay, so at that time, that's probably what would end up becoming WWE twenty four seven. Oh yeah, WWE on demand. Yeah, WWE twenty four seven. Yeah, so. That, that was the burgeoning elements of it. But essentially, he is positing the idea in 2002 about the WWE Network. Which, to me, that always made sense. Like, when you look at the library, I think even today, the network as a traditional channel would make sense when you just think about the library of content that this company has. Yeah, so he mentioned about using their vast tape library and also taking WCW stuff and putting it on there as well. So, yeah, all this thing eventually came to fruition, just a good, like, decade-plus past. Yeah, the really. Uh, the other piece of news is free releases, which are the releases of Mike Awesome, Horace Hogan, and Sean Stasiak from the company. All right, there's one name there that I know never graced WWE television. No, Horace Hogan was always in the developmental territory up until that point, but he was officially released as of early Octo- late September, early October. Just in time. All right, we got rid of Hulk. You, this this yeah, nobody to protect him anymore. Working. Yeah, no yeah. one to protect him anymore. Than that. Uh, Mike Awesome, obviously, we see we saw him in, in I think one backstage segment on an episode of SmackDown where he was watching a monitor and being berated by Stephanie McMahon. 
and Sean Stasiak, yeah, and Sean Stasiak was on the Raw side of things, was just a, a constant in the hardcore division in 2002 before being released. Obviously, the hardcore division doesn't exist anymore, so his services were no longer required. And yeah, I think this was this marked the end of his wrestling career as well. Planet Stasiak is no longer in orbit. I think that's pretty safe to say, yeah. Uh, uh, now, I believe he's a uh, he's a chiropractor now or a physiotherapist. I believe. Oh, good, good for him! Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. Uh, he was a second generation guy. I know. Didn't his dad? His dad is a former WWE. Yeah, like yeah. his dad that's, is the. That's crazy. I believe the. I'm 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 thinking he's the fifth WWF champion. Yeah, that sounds about right, and that's a shame. I I wonder if he feels like his wrestling career was a, a bust or if he's pleased with the things he did in WCW. Oh, you say that like, his, his bust, like you don't think that Nate was a winning gimmick? Oh no, no, not, not at all. I, I think at this stage, his claim to fame is probably, I had Kurt Angle's first match. Yeah. I, I guess that's a pretty good claim to have. Uh, yeah. Is that, and also I ran into a load of objects trying to hit the rock and other WWF stars during the Alliance <laughs> storyline. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, so that's the major news story so let's look a little bit about the Raw and Smackdown war starting with the ratings so for the last episode of September on Raw side of things so the uh, September 30th 2002 scored a 3.6 so mirroring the previous week's rating whereas Smackdown on this edition for the October 3rd edition it is a 4.18 so up a 0.1 from the previous week so they got a little bit of a boost coming out of, well, I get, I, it's been a while since um, uh, Unforgiven, but yeah, they, they're, they're boosting up their ratings every now and again. Imagine if like they did those numbers today. What? Well, That's yeah, crazy. It'd be, yeah, it'd be a, um, it'd be, it would be a complete shock to the system. It really one. would be. So what was Raw up to? So Eric Bischoff announced in this episode of Raw that there would be a world heavyweight championship match an intercontinental championship match and a women's title match and he also announced that at no mercy the world heavyweight championship and the intercontinental championships would be unified i still think that that's one of the worst ideas in the history of i guess modern wrestling but yeah you have to figure out nowadays about how they have so many titles and at this point in time they were just so hell-bent on getting rid of as many of them as possible but specifically the Intercontinental Championship, mm. like, what What was the process? What's the mindset there of I guess, getting rid of that? I guess the mindset is that there's going to be a world champion, there's going to be a tag team type, there's going to be, like, um, the top single star, the top tag team, and on the Raw side, the top women's wrestler, and on SmackDown, the top cruiserweight wrestler, and that would be it. That's pretty wild. So, in those matches, uh, Triple H defended the World Heavyweight Championship against Bubba Ray Dudley. Yeah, he did. So, yeah, that was pretty straightforward. Uh, Kane defeated Chris Jericho for the Intercontinental Championship. Yep. So he's now a a co-champion, so he's a a double champion, both the World Tag Team Champion and the Intercontinental Champion. So it's weird to think if uh, things had gone differently, your Raw main event of No Mercy could have been Bubba Ray versus Chris Jericho for the Unified Championship. The other women's title match was between Trish Stratus and Victoria, which ended in a DQ when Victoria swung a chair at the head of Trish Stratus. Did she do it upside down? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. 
So oh, this, wow. so this is starting. Obviously, it doesn't take place. That they, 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 I think they have a match at No Mercy, but the match that they're remembered for, their hardcore match, doesn't take place for another month and a half from now at Survivor Series, which we will be covering on the Patreon exclusive edition. If you pay at the ten dollars tier or above, then you'll be able to access all of the pay per view reviews we do for this period of time as well. So we've just done recently done Unforgiven, No Mercy is coming up soon as it's Survivor Series and all the other stuff following that. So yeah, so that's uh, what the title match has happened. Also on Raw, the Un-Americans disbanded. Oh, that's good. So what happened essentially is, I think it was either Christian or Lance Storm lost a match early on in the night and they got frustrated about the fact they're constantly losing now. Regal and Tess then lost a tag team match later on. Oh, oh no, this is what happened. This is the oh, I'm remembering it now. Um, Storm and Christian lost back to back matches against Randy Orton. Ah, so Storm lost to Randy Orton and then Christian lost to Randy Orton both in less than a minute. Oh damn, that's that's rough for 2002. And then Regal and Tess lost the tag team match. They all started uh, getting in each other's face about these things. Regal and Storm separated from the other two, so they formed their own tag team. And Test and Christian would go their separate ways. Christian to form sooner a tag team and friendship with Chris Jericho, and Test to turn babyface and acquire the services of Stacey Keebler as his manager. Uh, I'm really glad we don't have to talk about testicles. <laughs> so the other things that happened was that Bischoff uh, Lita appeared on the show for the first time in a long time. And she was in a promo segment with Eric Bischoff, where Bischoff essentially verbally abused her in any way that he possibly could. And then he ordered three-minute warning to attack her. Uh, She was rescued by Jeff Hardy, Booker T, and Goldust. And then three-minute warning defeated Booker T and Goldust in a tag team match. Ah, well, keeping Jeff Hardy strong, I see. Yeah. I mean... To be fair, Jeff is probably more over on SmackDown than he is on Raw because he get every everyone whenever Matt Hardy's on screen, everyone's just cheering that we want Jeff. Yeah, I think it's it was probably weird to see you know Lita has to be rescued by not Matt but Jeff Hardy and these other guys. So that's it for the Raw side of things. Let's move on to the big topic that's yeah reason we're here in the first place, which is to talk about the October third, two thousand two episode of SmackDown. From the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. Yes. Got How does Southern here? This uh, this show starts with a little more tolerable version of the. If you say intro. so. It, it was a much. It was less uh, visually I it was ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous. It was all over the place. Like, why do you have to repeat every single person's name ten times before you get to the point? Because <laughs> it was cool. It was it was the two thousands. It's one of these ridiculously shot ones with Stephanie McMahon in front of the production cr- truck, where there's like a million different camera shots and angles, and Stephanie says everybody's name in ten, fifteen different ways, and they they essentially it takes a what could be a 30 second to a minute long intro and stretched it out to about two minutes. But no I imagine other to be edgy. I imagine that these were such a pain in the ass to film. Like why, why I can see Stephanie just getting like frustrated with this. Like, why do I have to keep saying I'm Stephanie McMahon, Stephanie McMahon. Like it, it was also like edgy, but they still wanted her to have a little bit of sex appeal. It's very strange, but we do get our eyes on the WWE Tag Team Championships, 
And I have to say, they're beautiful. Like, they're as nice. a belt guy, they're yeah. they're gorgeous. They're a very nice design. I think they looked better than the World Tag Team Championships at this point in time, which looked a bit dull in comparison. Uh, when they get the new ones, the new World Tag Titles, I never cared for those belts. I, I don't know why. Just not my style. So she also announces other matches for the show, which will be Edge versus Kurt Angle, The Undertaker versus Matt Hardy, and Chris Benoit versus Rey Mysterio. For the first time anywhere, I noticed they really enjoyed that, but then I thought about it, and I guess they were right. Yeah, so a lot of good things to look forward to, including, as we mentioned, the Tag Team Championship Tournament. And we're kicking that off immediately here with Los Guerreros, of Eddie and Chavo Guerrero, of course, against Mark Henry and Rikishi. Because they're fat, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a big powerhouse team of people that have actually been who are actually veterans to the company at this point. Like yeah. Mark Henry, Mark Henry's been with WWE at this point for a good six years, which is wild because in those six years he hadn't done much of anything outside of the hand, the May Young stuff. Like, yeah, he was in. He was like a bit part member of the Nation and Domination, and then he was Sexual Chocolate, and now he's just. Well, he supposedly. Well, he is obviously a bit. He's the world's strongest man who can't get a win anywhere. Yeah, I mean, brain over brawn, you know what I mean? I think that's what they were trying to prove on SmackDown in 2002. Yeah, and this is a quite clear example because Eddie and Chavo are very much just trying to chop the big men down in this match. So Henry and Rikishi outpowered them straight away. You kind of knew what the result was going to be considering the fact that Mark Henry and Rikishi weren't even given entrances. That sucks. They would, yeah, they had the jobber entrance. Um, Chavo chop blocks Henry at one point when he's uh, lifting Eddie up over the top of his head. Uh, they target the leg of Henry for a while. They uh, work together to keep him from crawling away from to the corner. Um, and Rikishi doesn't even make a uh, tag to get into the ring. He just enters of his own accord to start beating people up. And as the referee is removing Rikishi from the ring, Chavo hits Henry in the leg of a chair, so the referee goes temporarily deaf for a couple of seconds there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you wouldn't be a WWE official if you didn't have temporary or selective hearing, I guess. Yeah, selective blindness, selective hearing, all this other stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, the occasional, like, oh, I took a light hit and I'm going to sell it for 10 minutes. So after Henry is hit with a chair, Eddie applies the lasso from El Paso. Great submission hold. Yeah, it's, it's some feat of strength to apply that to someone who is a good... 300 plus pounds. Just I don't know why of... he stopped doing it, but one of my favorites. And the Frog Splash is just such a more dynamic, pleasing finisher. Yeah. But it's good to have a submission as well. Uh, Henry taps out to the Lasso El Paso. Uh, Post match, Henry is helped by Rikishi and trainers to the back while he limps away. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's Los Guerreros through to the semi finals of this tournament. I, I would say that. This is one of the tag teams that's going to be the focal point of these championships, probably for almost a straight year. Yeah, to, to be fair, um, so Los Guerreros essentially is the is the pivotal first heel, then babyface tag team of these championships. They hold them, well, obviously they will hold them at some point in late 2002. They Eddie holds it with Tajiri in mid-2003 after Chavo Guerrero is injured briefly. And then they win it back in uh, mid to late 2003 as well. So until Chavo turns on Eddie and they start their feud against each other. I do want to note, 
the matches on this show are relatively short. Yeah. Outside of like one really long one and another one gets decent time. But this was only a little over five minutes and we're not going to see that trend change very much. No, WWE has always had an instance with certain tournaments where the early matches are pretty short, which, I mean, it's not just WWE, some other companies have done that in the past as well, but it's just a case of, it's hard to really get him super invested in a tournament where the matches aren't competitive all the way through. And this was an example of, it should have been more competitive than it was, but they wanted to get it done and dusted in a few minutes, and I guess it makes the actual legitimate tag team look good out of these group because essentially Henry and Rikishi is completely thrown together. But it it doesn't add a lot of prestige to the tournament if you're just adding thrown together tag teams, though. Yeah, but, you know, I think they knew what they were doing with these pairings because some of them really make sense. So then we cut backstage where Tori Wilson is walking with her father, Al Wilson. Lord, here we go. Yep, it's the uh, starting point. She um she introduces him to Billy and Chuck. Uh, as they're just talking, which uh, Dawn Marie enters the scene, introduces herself to Al and says that she'll be competing in a bikini contest with Tori tonight. She wishes Tori luck and walks away as Tori just looks pretty disgusted with the whole thing. First of all, I want to congratulate Tori Wilson for being bold enough to accept the challenge of Don Marie for the uh, bikini contest championship. Yeah. I'm sorry for what she's going to have to go through in the next few months. Yep, it's uh it yeah, this is gonna be something that we'll just constantly come back to. But there's more than that to come in this episode so we won't go dive too much into it. Instead we have Brock Lesnar backstage enjoying footage of his beatdown of the Undertaker last week where he left him bloody after hitting him multiple times with the championship belt. While Heyman is trying to get his attention, Heyman says that he's going to have to give Taker a rematch now and it will have a surprise stipulation that Stephanie is currently not revealing but will reveal later in the show. Uh, Matt Hardy interrupts them, saying that what Brock did to Taker last week is nothing compared to what he will do to The Undertaker in the Falls Count Anywhere match next. Whereas Matt Hardy, supremely arrogant version one Matt Hardy, is a really great Matt Hardy. Yeah. Of the characters that he has portrayed, that's definitely my favorite. I wasn't a big fan of the I'm brooding and deep and I'm going to burn your house down, Jeff, Matt Hardy. And I think in hindsight, the broken stuff is finally at the point where a lot of it's just camp. But this Matt Hardy is the best Matt Hardy. So we move on to immediately the Undertaker versus Matt Hardy in a false cat anywhere match. So Undertaker dominates early, as you'd expect. He hits his guillotine leg drop, throws Hardy into the timekeeper's area. He then goes to chokeslam Matt Hardy through the announce table, but Hardy kicks him in the dick. So yeah, dick kicks it for the Undertaker. And then he tries to twist a fate, but he's thrown straight into the barricade. So this is basically Undertaker having some sort of just obviously vendetta against Hardy and he's beating the absolute shit out of him, chasing him all around ringside, all through the crowd. Uh, Matt Hardy throws a drink in Undertaker's face at one point, but essentially he's just running away from the Undertaker. Which makes sense. I think a lot of people, if you heard Matt Hardy versus The Undertaker today, you might think it'd be slightly competitive. But back in the day, like back in this time, no, The Undertaker was leagues ahead of Matt Hardy and should have 
probably been throwing him around the whole time. So they brawl to the backstage area, and Hardy keeps trying to escape. He tries to climb over like a fence gate to try and get away from the Undertaker. And as Undertaker is climbing up to reach him, Brock Lesnar attacks from behind. Yep. Taker then takes him out, essentially two on one for a little while. Hardy keeps trying to get involved, but it's um, it's mainly Lesnar and attacking him until Lesnar manages to sneak up on Taker, lift him up for the F5, and drops him on a bunch of packaging peanuts. Hey, that hurts, man. Uh, Hardy immediately is on Taker, pins him, and gets the victory over the Undertaker in the full game. Beat him twice. Beat him, yep. beat him twice. Yep, two wins for Matt Hardy over the Undertaker, both with asterisks next to them, but victories nonetheless. But that is not at the end of the segment because Brock Lesnar, seeing the Undertaker in a prone position, decides that he hasn't suffered enough. So he grabs a propane canister that's mm-hmm. conveniently placed in the backstage area for some reason and then yep. smashes it against the right hand of the Undertaker, who's left absolutely writhing agony. I have to give Undertaker credit, and I haven't given him a huge amount in either the 2001 Wrestling Odyssey or this thing. He sells that like his hand is legitimately broken in pieces. Yeah, the last two weeks, I'd say, Undertaker's selling has been tremendous from the just gash that he gave himself last week, and now this. Taker... While I don't like my Undertaker human, he does a good job of conveying emotion. We can't wait from that for a second just to see an advertisement for Survivor Series. Which yeah. I, I thought was quite odd just considering the fact that we haven't even had my mercy yet. No, and here's why. Madison Square Garden. Of course, yeah. Madison Square Garden, it's a, it's a big deal that they're going back to the Garden for Survivor Series. I'd uh, love for them to go back to the Garden for a show. I mean obviously post-covid but like they don't do the garden as much as they used to they really like the barclays and i think that there's so much history in the garden so they cut back from that promo to show taker being treated by an ice pack with a trainer uh mark lloyd and brian hebner are also there uh they're trying to get rid of mark lloyd already (laughs) trainer tells mark lloyd that he believes that undertaker's hand is broken and they're having to go to hospital to get scans done to verify that. Ah, that damn Brock Lesnar. I I will give Brock Lesnar credit. I enjoy young, hungry, I will kill you without remorse Brock Lesnar, as opposed to, I'll kill you if I feel like it, but I totally can. Older Brock Lesnar. So you move on to the only championship match on this show, which is a WWE Cruiserweight Championship match, Jamie Noble versus Crash Holly. My first question to you, what the fuck is Crash Holly doing in a Cruiserweight Championship match? He's small. I know he's a Cruiserweight. You don't have to tell, <laughs> tell me that. But it's just the case of, uh, Crash Holly that, was, what... that yeah. was the thought. He's a small guy. We need a title match. Just put Crash out there. So Crash, and I'm, I'm, I said Crash Holly. His name is actually just Crash now. because There's match the Crash. Home. It's over in less than four minutes. Yeah, so Crash is... Essentially, he's he moved to SmackDown post Unforgiven, or actually, it was the week before Unforgiven. I think he moved to SmackDown. He had one match which was a competitive. Well, I say competitive. He got absolutely destroyed by the Hurricane for most of the show until just getting a sneak in a win against the Hurricane, and then he's been away for two weeks, and now he's getting a cruiserweight title match. You know what? And I bet I will bet you anything that this was the verbiage said in the office. We need Nidia on television. 
How do we do that? I don't know. Jamie could have a match. He's beaten everybody. Hasn't beaten Crash. Book it. So this match essentially, Nidia trips up Crash early on and allowing, allowing Noble to get an early advantage. Uh, Noble targets the back of Crash, whipping him hard into the turnbuckle, spearing him into it repeatedly. He applies a crammel clutch, but then you start to notice, oh, the crowd don't really give a shit, and why would they? The guy who's challenging has only been on one episode of this entire thing, and they're not exactly thrilled about cruiserweight matches in general at this point in time. You know, if it doesn't have Mysterio, it's not interesting. I, I'll say this. Uh, it's a bit sad in retrospect, knowing that like Crash has less than a year's time, just in general. But I don't remember a damn thing about his SmackDown run. I know what he's about to do, but I don't even remember how that portion of his SmackDown run ended. You know? Yeah, it's a bit just very much goes under the radar. Which is a shame, considering how much fun he was in the like late 90s, early 2000s in WWE. Yeah, and I think they probably wanted to recapture that. If anything, I would have not scrapped the hardcore title, and I would have tried to get it back around him. I think there's still a lot of fun to be had with that belt, if you look at the characters, that it would come in the later years. Because Crash had more to offer, and they didn't utilize him well here. So Nidia gets in the apron at one point. Crash pushes Noble into Nidia, tries an O'Connor roll. Noble rolls through, grabs the tights, but Crash reverses this into a bridging pin, gets two count for it. Crash then attempts the crash landing, which is the Styles Clash. Styles Clash, yep. Yep. It sure is. And uh, Styles was very much on TV at this point in time with TNA, or at least on pay per view uh, with TNA. I'll tell you a secret. Uh, Holly was in TNA earlier, or, um, yeah, earlier that year as Mad Mikey. So, he was very aware of AJ Styles. Uh, Noble blocks his attempt, counters uh, a sunset flip into a pin, grabs the ropes, and retains the championship. So, yeah, it was just a very short, nothing match, really. Crowd didn't care about it. Noble retains the Cruiserweight title. I am a big fan of heels being heels. And at this time, heels were still very much heels. Constantly grabbing the ropes, constantly putting their feet on the ropes, doing whatever they could to get the advantage and win. And it wasn't seen as like a trope yet. It was just like, ah, he's a bad guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Very, very big fan of, really, of Jamie Noble. Jamie Noble is a bright spot on all of these episodes. So speaking of heels, we have Kurt Angle being interviewed by Mark Lloyd. Uh, Mark Lloyd asks Angle if he regrets any of the comments he made towards Rey Mysterio before last week's main event, considering the fact that Mysterio defeated both Angle and Benoit. And uh, of course, he says, he didn't beat me. Yeah, he beat Benoit. Yep. Benoit, was, Benoit was the one that was pinned in that match. Uh, Angle says that Benoit is a regular person, so he makes mistakes. But Angle is as close to pure perfection as it gets, and he is a work of art. <laughs> Yes. What a gem. He's, he's so, uh, his pomposity knows no bounds. He's, he's a gem. He really is. He is the only person who can be a total goofball and then go in the ring and you won't care because you buy every single thing that he does in between the ropes. So his opponent for tonight, Edge, arrives. He says that Angle isn't perfect. Angle says that his medals say that he is. But Edge reminds him that the bald spot on his head reminds him that he isn't because 
this is it's not the first time they've met since that incident, but this is, I believe this is the first one-on-one match they've had since Judgment Day. I think this would be the first one-on-one match they've had since the cage match in uh, May. Yeah, so following the haircut. Okay, yeah, but it's essentially like it's one of the first like one-on-one meetings since that incident. So at least they're bringing up the history between these two. This is definitely the first time since Kurt Angle has just fully embraced the fact that he's bald and it no longer bothers him. Uh, Angle says they've been waiting for this opportunity since his head was shaved. Edge, they basically say, like, who's going to go first? Like, Edge says that, like, Angle can go first and Angle decides to do it. And as he walks past, he cheap shots Edge, knocks him to the floor. Yeah, and just heads out to the ring. All right. Yeah, so, again, it's a heel being a heel. Getting a cheap uh, shot. I love it. Uh, Angle versus Edge. In a one-on-one match, uh, loud Angle sucks chance. Uh, Michael Cole in commentary talks about how great the SmackDown's uh, ratings were last week and the like, the number of TV stations they defeated. So they're really harping on how good they are in the ratings right now. I wonder why they don't do that nowadays. <laughs> you know, nowadays it's been replaced by incessant commentary about how the Thunderdome is for you, everybody. We love you. And I, I miss really, when they could brag about how good they were in the ratings. Yeah, but they're getting so many hits on Twitter right now. And oh, oh, yeah. Thunder, oh, yeah. Hashtag Thunderdome is like hey, going Hey, did you know that right WrestleMania now. broke records digitally? Um, I, I noticed in this match, maybe I should have picked it up a little bit earlier, they seem to be using some more dynamic camera angles in this match. Because there's a guy, I don't know whether it's just, it's probably just a standing camera guy in the corner of the ring, but they're taking a lot of shots from one of the, t- like, one of the corners of the ring in this match. They occasionally like doing that. And I know now they just literally put the camera inside of the post. But they're always trying different things with presentations. Maybe that's why the show opened weird, because this was one of those, hey, let's experiment episodes. So this match goes 20 plus minutes. Yep. And part of the reason for that is that it's essentially two matches. Because of some some uh, tomfoolery, which we'll come up to, but... It's a really, really good match in general. These two, but well, every match angle has is good, and Edge is definitely well up there with him at this point. Yeah, and this is again, if you put any of the SmackDown six, and you know who those six people are, if you put any of them together at any point, it's just good. So they do a fun thing at the start where Edge is essentially out wrestling Kurt Angle, and so Angle has to get frustrated, gets frustrated, and starts using strikes to try and get advantage over Edge. Uh, Edge tries to make a comeback after Angle beats him down for a little while, which is due to the fact that Angle hits an angle slam over the top rope to the floor for Edge. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a nice spot. I I, I mean, he does it every now and again, so it's it's good when it does happen. Uh, Runs into a belly-to-belly throw by Angle. Very long heat segment on Edge. Edge gets a few fleeting throws, but Angle's always taking him back down straight afterwards. Uh, crowd is really seems super invested in this, far more invested than they were in the cruiserweight title match earlier. Well, uh, I wonder why. Yeah, of course. Um, there's there's like a few things. I Edge uses a super kick in this match. Uh, I he wouldn't be doing that for long. No, I've never ever seen him. This is like this is the only time I've ever seen him use a super kick. It looked all right. Oh yeah, it wasn't bad. It's just. You don't expect it from Edge. That's the thing. Oh, no, for sure. It was just bizarre. It's like, I know there's that trope of like everybody uses a super kick. That's essentially like the move to go to. But it's just, yeah, it's just odd that Edge decided to pull that out in this match. 
I so, think um, Edge really, for me, I, I mentioned this last week, he looks like he needs to bulk up a bit, but this may be Edge's best ring work just in general, like from a consistent basis. Well, yeah, this is obviously pre-neck break Edge, so yeah. maybe that's obviously helping in his favor. Um, Edge goes for a spear, angle counters with a throw, that sends Edge into the referee. Uh, he hits the execution, but the referee is down. Angle hits an angle slam. There's a new referee, but Edge kicks out before the referee counts for three. Um, angle and Edge fight on the top rope. Angle lands a superplex. Then both their legs get tied up. The new referee counts free for Angle, but the other ref, Kyoda, has recovered. And he sees that Angle's shoulders were also down. So then the refs start arguing about who wins, with Sparks saying that Angle won, with Kyoda saying that Edge won. And then... Kyoda just punches Mike Sparks. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> and then we just have a referee brawl for like some reason. Like the referees are just so angry about who won this match that they decided to beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> this this screams Paul Heyman. Like yes. Yeah, so, hey, let's let no everybody's gonna fight. So the other referees come down to break their their, their fight up. Uh, they come back from commercial, the match is restarted, Kyoda is refereeing again, and the match, yeah, it's just a restarted match, so we now we've just got the match going again. Uh, Angle, during the break, hit a belly-to-belly suplex to Edge on the floor, so he's back on advantage again. Um, uh, Angle, oh, go ahead. No, no I, I just, I don't know why, if you're going to do that, you're not going to have, like, I don't know, Corderas take the reins of this match or something. It just, what a, a very weird... You needed this to do the restart. Like, yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised they didn't book a um a Kyoto versus Sparks match for the next week's SmackDown. Yeah, really. So we have Angle ties Edge in the ropes, and this is where the cocky side of Angle kicks in because he hits two spears to Edge and against the ropes, but then he misses the third attempt and falls straight out of the ring. Um, uh, typical Angle, you know. Yeah. Just yeah, just so cocksure of himself and that always just ends up with his being his demise edge then spears angle off the apron into the barricade and then dives from the top rope to angle on the floor because edge is crazy at this point and it works i mean he's getting the he's the future of smackdown as they told you several times this year angle hits trifecta of german suplexes but then he notices chris benoit walking down the ramp so even more uh shenanigans seem to be coming forward. Uh, he tries another German suplex. Edge rolls into the cover for two. He tries a sunset flip out of the corner, but Angle rolls this through into an ankle lock because he knows every way to get someone into an ankle lock. And it's it's really the best. I know people like Ken Shamrock, but Angle, for me, is the ankle lock guy. So Edge sends Angle to the floor to escape this one. Angle grabs a steel chair in frustration, but Benoit prevents him from using it. Angle then swings for Benoit. He hits the top rope with the chair. The chair bounces back, ricochets into Angle's own face. Uh, Angle staggers because of the shot. Edge hits him with a spear, gets the pin, and yeah, Edge beats Kurt Angle one-on-one here. Now, remind me, is this a Kurt Angle trope, or is, was this just something WWE was doing for a while with heels, the whole chair in the face? Because I feel like that became a traditional spot after a while. It's not exclusive to Angle, but it's definitely it's definitely very much a heel trope of the heel messing up their own thing and like that being the cause of their own demise. I know Angle's done it multiple times. Obviously, nowadays you can't do that because they might well that well, of course they shouldn't even let 
you yourself hit yourself in the face with a steel chair but yeah it, it's it's a, it's a funny comedy spot though as long as you forget the fact that people may have gotten concussed by it and speaking of we go to sort <laughs> while laughing at Kurt Angle yeah he's just lo- yeah oh, laughing yeah. up the ramp at Benoit yeah so yeah I I think that it was a little bit obviously the fuck finished hurts it a little bit but this match was just yeah a really good match between two of the best workers they have right now Straight, but straight up, I could have really done without that dumbass referee spot. Yeah, that 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 felt unnecessary. But um... I like the idea of a guy who was with the company at that point for fifteen years being territorial about his calls. But you know, unnecessary. So we cut backstage with an irate, an irate Kurt Angle goes hunting for Crispin while backstage. Uh, he finds him in the locker room and is separated by other SmackDown superstars before it gets into a fight. Uh, Stephanie arrives and tells them that they have to start getting along because they will be teaming together in the tag team tournament. Does it, I wonder if she made that decision on the fly just because she thought, ah, oh, you know what? I see fighting. Let me. This is good conflict management. I think modern day Stephanie would say something like that, but you know, ends up being one of the best tag teams ever. So Stephanie says if they work, don't work together, they'll be suspended without pay for a year. I love uh, the emphasis on money. Yeah, I I mean, I get that side of it, and that's good, obviously. The thing that I don't get is that I know this tag team tournament is important to Stephanie, but why would she risk losing two of her top superstars for a year because they don't because they hate each other and don't want a tag team? Well, because she is a strong and powerful woman and is asserting her dominance. It, uh, it does always come down to that. I, I can survive. I'm a big man. Damn it. I'll yeah. survive without both of you. So Angle says that he's calmed down and they'll get on with stuff. And then he decks Chris Benoit for good measure. And then Stephanie says that the the issue starts right now. So now they can't touch each other. So Angle gets the last shot. Well, that's in not that. fair to Chris Benoit. Like, come on. I, I do like that in that segment, we had A-Train uh, holding yeah. Angle back for some reason. But at least the Guerreros being friends with Benoit were the ones kind of like, no, no, no. It's okay, Chris. We got you. So we move again to another backstage segment with Heyman essentially just kissing Brock's ass backstage and how he deserves to be champion lifts all his accomplishments. Matt Hardy then arrives, saying that he beat Taker again thanks to his mattitude. Uh, and he claims that if Taker can't compete at No Mercy due to the broken hand and he just beat Taker, then that means that he must be the new number one contender for the WWE Championship. On the one hand... A lot of logic. On the yep. other hand, Matt Hardy's so delusional, it's perfect. So Matt says that he's going to go talk to Stephanie about that right now. And as he leaves, Heyman jokes that Lesnar should be worried about him because Matt Hardy would kill him. Great. Yeah, great sarcasm there. Um, they promote Raw in Vegas, which seems odd because they're the fact that there's supposed to be a brown war going on. But, uh, <laughs> but they promote the fact that it's Raw Roulette, the famous Eric B- one of Eric Bischoff's most famous gimmicks. How has this not made its way to a pay-per-view gimmick? Like some kind of spin the wheel, make the deal. It's I, so I, exciting. You I, don't yeah, know I, what you're getting. Like, it's so good. I don't know. They definitely should have done it for more episodes of Evil Raw or SmackDown. Whenever they're in Vegas, they should do this sort of gimmick. It, it, made, it made a lot of sense. It was a fun addition to like, okay, whenever in Vegas, let's just go a little bit crazy. Yeah. I want to... Uh, the next thing we're going to see is... Uh, Chuck versus Devon, and 
all four men in this match, because Devon's with Ron Simmons for some reason, they, they all look like they're in the midst of, like, I don't know what gimmick I'm in. All four of them. Yeah, it's so, very strange. So it's Billy and Chuck versus the Reverend Devon and Farouk at this point uh, in the uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championship quarterfinal match. Do they call him Farouk? Yeah, they, call him, they call him Farouk. Commentary is calling him Farouk in this match. But then I'll, I'll obviously reveal a little bit because I have watched a little bit in advance. As of next week, they are calling him Ron Simmons and Taz is saying that his name is Ron Simmons. He's not Farouk anymore. But then he goes back to being Farouk when he... Yep. Yeah. When, when, Branch, when in the APA, APA And by, by the way, when's the last time he wore the, Al- the, the Acolytes gear that he's wearing on this episode? When was the last time we saw him in general? Well, when he was teaming with uh, Randy Orton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he's basically just... They, yeah, they're I, just like all over the place. Because Billy and Chuck, they're not Billy and Chuck anymore. No. In the sense and, that, and you Devon's, know... They'd... And Devon's not a reverend anymore. Yeah. He's wearing like, he's wearing Devon Dudley's outfit. He's wearing a testified Devon shirt and some pants. I thought like they all look like they're in the middle of we don't know who we are. So essentially they Billy questions why Ron Simmons has joined up with Devon, and then Simmons just answers by hitting the mic into Billy's face and then we get started. I think that's fair. <laughs> uh yeah, this is just a pretty standard okay-ish tag team match, like it was a showcase trying to establish Devon and Farouk as a, a a new team. I guess it was just the idea with Devon and Farouk is it's two guys from two prominent tag teams from the Attitude Era who have been separated from their partners and are now trying to work together because their own singles careers didn't work out. Yeah, I I hate everything about this. This makes little to no sense. I assume oh, this becomes the winner of this match advances in the tournament, even though it's not a like, what would did they announce the tournament match? I don't remember. Yeah, they say the tournament match. Yeah. Okay, good because I because I know what happens uh, next week because it's a very big uh, week in wrestling history in some ways. But this just doesn't. None of this makes sense. I would have put Billy and Chuck over here. Didn't Stephanie McMahon two weeks ago call them the greatest tag team in the history of WWE? Why why were they put over? I guess they thought that Devon and Farouk could be a team that has a little bit of legs and could be fighting for the titles going forward. But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just um, yeah, Billy, uh, Billy and Chuck lose to Devon and Farouk here after um, Simmons hits them with a uh, spine buster to get the uh, victory for them. After Billy goes for the fame answer. Um at one point Devon and Simmons try and do the uh, what's up thing. So that again, they're just going through some Dudley boy tropes. They also do the combined. Backdrop netbreaker, which Devon and Bu- um, Bubble would do in matches as well. So yeah, they're basically just Farouk is just you know he's just Bubba in this equation. But he's much better than Bubba. He, I, <sighs> I think he, he's more physical than Bubba. At this I think point. at this stage in his career, I feel comfortable saying Ron Simmons is better than Bubba at that point. He's a lot more experienced than Bubba at this point. That's fair. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, them through to the semi-finals of the tag team tournament. I think I forgot to mention the interesting thing about this is the fact that it was meant to be in the brackets in, that initially started this. It was supposed to be Devon and Batista, even right? Though, but that didn't though, work out. Yeah, even though they weren't uh, allies anymore, and it was due to the fact that Batista was moving to Monday Night Raw. Did you notice in this match shortly after the uh, backwards 3D, Chuck punches? He gets 
uh, Farouk out of the ring and then completely falls out of the ring himself. <laughs> like, uh, uh, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> just, it's not great. Uh, Farouk has got one of the best spinebusters. I'm sorry, I can't make up my mind on what to call him. One of the best spinebusters in the business, and it should put people away because it looks nasty. Yeah, it's a very devastating spinebuster. So, move backstage. Tor Marie is in a robe approaching Al Wilson backstage. She asks for an opinion on her bikini, so she just opens her robe in front of Al Wilson. Mm. Uh, he says it's great, and then tells her that she can call him Al instead of Mr. Wilson. And yeah, this is getting very uncomfortable very fast. Uh, yeah. So we move I on. Got, to... I got nothing here. We know how this goes. It's that great. So Taz is once again out to MC a bikini contest on SmackDown. Uh, uh, Tori, Tori out first in the white robe and a lollipop, followed by Dormarie in a black robe. Because obviously the, the heels wear black and the baby and faces they wear don't, white. They don't suck on lollipops. Nope. Uh, Taz says instead of uh, Billy and Chuck being, or anybody else being the judges, it will be judged by the audience instead. So, yeah. so Dawn goes first. She shows off a very revealing Rakimi, much more than Nidia's um, was the previous week. So. Yeah, Curry's. I don't really say. I don't remember much say much more than that. Really, it's just like, yeah, she was wearing a hot bikini and she. Don Don is better at this than Nidia. Yeah, didn't dance like a fool either. Uh, um, Tori uh, politely like applauds her for that. Then yeah. They, then then they switch over to Tori. Tori reveals a flesh-colored bikini, so it makes people who don't know any better just assume that she's just dancing around naked in the ring. <laughs> uh, yeah. This yeah, is so weird. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so not what we're used to anymore. It's a strange to talk about, but listen, Taz is all about tomatoes. You know, they're great. It was a good segment for what it was, and it gets worse from here. Yeah, it does what it's supposed to do. So the crowd cheers, cheers loudest for Tori, obviously, and she wins. Uh, Dawn goes over to offer a handshake, but then... When, when Tori goes to respond, she slaps Tori right on the face and throws her out of the ring, which I guess could have been pretty dangerous, considering the attire. Yeah, but I guess they, I guess they would have seen, oh, it's just a um, like a wardrobe malfunction. It's not going to happen again if the if the network got annoyed with them about it. But yeah, well, just... listen, I, I don't know where Al Wilson's priorities were at the time, because if someone then beat up my child. I would not be like, "Hey, we should get together." But there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more to go on with that, unfortunately, at this point. But uh, yeah, that's the starting point. Tori winning a bikini contest against Ormory, and it, it it served the purpose that it was there to do. Some man, is, a man will die by the end of this storyline. So it's, yeah. it's a mess. So, Let's talk about some wrestling. Yeah. So we cut backstage. Uh, Stephanie approaches Brock and Paul Heyman as they're leaving the arena. Uh, she says that she's spoken to the Undertaker and that even though his hand is broken, he will still be fighting at no mercy. Uh, Brock yeah. suggests that it should be a thumb wrestling match. I know, but Paul Heyman is like one arm tied behind my back. This is the weakest Hell in a Cell announcement of all time. So Stephanie waits and stops laughing, announces it will be a Hell in a Cell match between Brock and the Undertaker. Uh, Brock looks, no, uh, Heyman looks absolutely terrified and despondent about that whole thing. While Brock seems angry about it, but he doesn't look scared. 
Yeah, why would Brock Lesnar be scared? He is a prodigy. Yeah, he so, is the man. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a good way. Of, it's a good way of um, portraying him at this point in time. So we cut to the main event now, which is Rey Mysterio versus Chris Benoit. To obviously, as a follow on from Mysterio pinning Benoit in the Triple Threat last week. So uh, yeah, not before a replay that was brought to you by some hair dye that was really reeking of 2002 because all these men have frosted tips and it's just amazing when you look back at advertisements and how they really exemplify the times. So this is, again, another very good match between two members of the SmackDown 6. Benoit gets to be play super heavyweight for a while by just tossing Rey Mysterio around the ring. Uh, Really, really, really got a kick out of that, that he... Could experiment with that style, you know? Yeah. He delivers some mighty chops to Mysterio, which looked like they absolutely sucked. Um, Benoit tries a razor's edge at one point, but Mysterio counters that into a Hurricane Rana, which I assume that Michael Cole called a leg scissors because he calls every Hurricane Rana a leg scissors. <laughs> yeah, this is long before knowing the names of every move. Uh, Mysterio grapevines Benoit, sends him over the top rope, springboard somersaults onto Benoit on the floor. Um... Mr. Benoit at one point lifts Mysterio high in the air and drops him hard with a backbreaker. That was, again, it's just another reason to love Rey Mysterio because he's the only person that can take spots like this. Yeah. I, I would love to see somebody of the caliber of Rey Mysterio today get in there if somebody had the technical prowess of a Benoit today. A Benoit like plus- Timothy Thatcher versus, you know, Swerve Scott or something. Like, yeah. This style of match is really good. Yeah, Timmy Thatcher gets Ricochet or something. Yeah. Uh, Benoit applies a straight jacket hold to Mysterio for a while, who acrobatically counters into a Sunset Flipper 2, but then he's completely decked by a clothesline. Uh, Benoit counters a wheelbarrow attempt by Mysterio into a German suplex, which was, again, really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah, this guy's guy's great. I wish that we could remember him more fondly. I I know. um, Ray does a cool spot where he... Almost like how Grandma Talik kind of just naturally does the springboard up the ropes. Mm. Ray does that, and he drops a leg drop on Benoit. I thought that was cool. Um, then we see uh, the 619 attempt, but Benoit ducks it. Angle's oh. here. Oh, I, I need to just talk about the, the ducking the 619, because he does that, and then he drops him with a shoulder breaker. And I just love Benoit's shoulder breaker so much. Why did he not use that all the time? I, I don't know. Maybe I know, yeah, I know it has to be against bigger guys. I know, yeah, I know it has to be against like smaller people to use it, but it's such a fucking good move. And and then he hits the headbutt where he dives a good three quarters of the ring to hit that headbutt on Mysterio. Yeah, he he might have just done that better than anybody, better than Dynamite, better than Brian. So. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, it was just the distance that he covers. So um, Mysterio flips out James Suplex, Benoit chops him down. Uh, 619 does eventually hit Benoit, but he avoids the West Coast pot. But Angle, as Rob mentioned, is out of nowhere and then hangs Benoit on the middle rope. Now, my, de- I have a problem with this. Stephanie said that their ruling started. Should they not both be suspended? See... They do that, but then they clarify, again, watch in advance, they clarify in the next episode of SmackDown that the only time they're not supposed to touch is during, in, is in a match where they're okay. tag team partners. So I guess they just glossed over that side of things. So Angle does guillotine Benoit, 
Uh, Mysterio then does hits the Hurricane Rana, gets the victory, and Mysterio gets the second straight victory over Benoit. Well, they're building him strong. They are, which is weird because they don't necessarily. I mean, he's going to do some cool stuff with the SmackDown Six, but they don't necessarily like keep him strong as a solo. No, that or they move him into the like after this, they they establish him with some main event talent. And then they decide, okay, now you're going to be the head of the cruiserweight division for a while. I think that was a mistake. I think this Rey Mysterio should have absolutely been in the main event scene because I don't like fatter Rey Mysterio. I like I've thought about this, and like by 2006, he's not doing his best work. So I wish we could have seen this Rey Mysterio mix it up with Brock Lesnar and. Guys like that. Yeah, very good main event match. Uh, post-match, Angle and Benoit get nose-to-nose and stop brawling. Angle hits Finley's a German here. Su- Finley's here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they get nose-to-nose. Angle hits a German suplex, applies the ankle lock. Benoit counters into the crossface. The referees and Finley kind of separate them as best as they can. So it's just a bunch of referees and Finley just keeping them apart from each other. And, yeah, we head off the air with supposedly these two upcoming tag team partners still absolutely hating each other. It's odd that they didn't end the show with, hey, hell in a cell. You know, like, that seems like the more natural ending to a show, because that's your big story. But this was probably my more preferred, because I like these guys. Yeah, so I I really like this episode of SmackDown overall. I thought most of the matches, even though some of them, quite a few of them were pretty short. The main event was great. The edge and angle match was great. Besides like, the fuck finish and the side and the referees decide to have a fight in the middle of it. Other than that, and I really liked the um. Even though obviously they've been picked to pieces, the Undertaker and Brock Lesnar feud. I thought this was the strongest segment between them so far. The hand breaking and Hardy getting the victory. I thought it, I thought it was all really good. Yeah, I thought this is great, great stuff. You know, and we're only going to get even greater from here. But it's not all great, obviously. We this is the start of the uh, Dawn Owl Tory Wilson storyline, so at least we have the benefit of hindsight. So we're not looking at it like, oh, how are they gonna drag this on next week? We know how this all works out. It is what it is. What can you say? Yeah, so that wasn't so great. Both I think both the tag team uh matches the first tag team match in this tournament were a bit underwhelming. Oh, I think um, that's fair, but, you know, one of them had Mark Henry and Rikishi teaming up for no reason, and the other had uh, Devon and Farouk teaming up for no reason. Yeah, and the Cruiserweight title match, had, it was an okay match, but got absolutely no heat whatsoever, so it wasn't a perfect episode of SmackDown when you stretched your imagination, but I think overall the, the positives outweighed the negatives. I think that's fair. Okay, so that's the um, end of this episode, so... Only thing we need to do is just think about what we're going to see next week, which will be the continuation of the tag team title tournament, where we will see a match between Kangle and Chris Benoit teaming up, obviously a bit of enemies at this point, against Billy Kidman and John Cena. And this is important. It yeah. really, it really is. It's like it's a it's a turning point moment. Yeah, it's a turning point for John, which makes it a turning point for all of WWE. <laughs> We'll also see essentially some interesting backstage stuff between the Guerreros, Benoit and Angle at this point in time as well. So the Guerreros are now playing mind games with a lot of people. 
we get to see in the other semi-final match, it is going to be, well, at least it is billed to be Edge and Rey Mysterio versus Jamie Noble and Tajiri, but it doesn't actually end up quite like that, but you'll we'll find out on the actual episode of SmackDown how it all comes together. And if if you have been a fan of this, uh, the start of the Tory Wilson dormery storyline, then we've got good news. There is going to be a lingerie contest next week's SmackDown between Tory Wilson and dormery So we've got bikini yeah. this week, lingerie next week. Uh, we were really like, we got to use these women because they're still big on that. They're still big on like, hey, we need a female, you know, component of this show. But they ain't got a title, and yeah, there's and we, yeah. sexualization all over the place. And we'll also see the continuation of the Brock Lesnar and Undertaker feud with what is unequivocally the worst segment in the Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar feud, where we introduce... I'm going to go one step further. It is the worst thing they've ever subjected the Undertaker to. So hopefully next week we'll be introduced to Tracy. The again, the worst thing they've ever subjected the Undertaker to. I've told, said this many times. I don't like. I don't want to know anything about Mark Calloway, the man. And they tried way too hard here. Yeah, well, that's uh, all the stuff we have to look forward to on next week's stuff, as well as our look back in the news at this point in time and uh, what Raw is up to as well. So yeah, we'll do a little bit of like a recap of uh, Raw Roulette as well. So. Yeah, that, that's uh, all to look forward to next week. So I hope you've enjoyed this edition and will join us next Saturday for the next one. Uh, only things I need to do now is just to put a few plugs out there. So I mentioned the Patreon earlier. Obviously, if you're the $10 tier or above, you'll be able to access all of the additional pay-per-view reviews we do from the year 2002. But even a dollar goes a long way to helping us out. And anything, so any spare change that you can offer through there is all greatly appreciated. You can obviously do the same thing through YouTube with the applause function or becoming a member on the YouTube side of things and other ways that you can get something very tangible straight away for your hard-earned money is through the Redbubble and Public shops where you can buy some Smartcat Moment merchandise. Uh, check out yeah. the Smartcat, yes, check out the Smartcat Moment website where you can see all the great articles that are written by our team on a daily or weekly basis, including why well, I do the power rankings, but there's like the triple threat and the, uh, women's wrestling, wrestling weekly. Yeah. Women's wrestling weekly battle of the brands, all this other great stuff. So, Check out all of that stuff on there. Uh, you can follow the uh, fantasy league as well, where things are things are going well for well things are going well for me. That's probably things me. are always <laughs> going well for you in the fantasy league. So that you're, you're doing pretty good. I think I'm doing better. Following, yeah, you could have uh, hardly Clash done worse. Champions. Yeah, you could have hardly done worse. Yeah, but um, yeah, so that's all great stuff to follow on there. Uh, Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, join the Mega Maniacs on Facebook as well, where you will be able to get like just updates and join in some conversation with uh, other wrestling fans that are part of that group. Uh, Fanboys Anonymous, Tony's uh, sister site to Smart Out Moment, where do all the geek culture, movie talk, video games, TV. That's where you can find all of that great stuff on there. Rob, you want to throw out your individual ones now? Yeah, you can... Uh... Follow me on Twitter at Dude Felice. You should be checking out Fightful and WrestleZone for your weekly and daily wrestling updates. I, you know, keep checking out everything Tony's got going on, the editorial side of things on Bleacher Report, e-wrestling news, all that stuff. And uh, I will see you back here 
tomorrow night for the review of NXT TakeOver 31. I will also see you at that point as well because it's Saturday, so I can at least like stay up. Nope, it's Sunday. Night. Oh, fuck that then. No way that's going to happen. <laughs> Why How would it be a Saturday, this? Callum? What? This is a Saturday. I, I guess so, yeah, but it's like, I know this is a Saturday, but it's just a case of why they do this to me. Why, why does TakeOver have to be on a Sunday? Like, TakeOver on Saturday was, like, a great moment. Yeah, it was a really great tradition, and yeah. it seems like they're moving that Sunday, unfortunately. Yeah, oh, oh well, you can enjoy uh, Tony and Rob's uh, feedback on that side of things. I hope the show sucks. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And yeah, hopefully you join us next Saturday for next edition of this. And yeah, enjoy TakeOver and all the other great stuff we've got coming up on this channel. So thanks very much for listening. And this has been another Smart Out Moment. And we're being counted out.